This is Gigi Johnson from the Innovating Music Podcast at UCLA's Herb Alpert School of Music. This is a re-recording of a podcast. We've done that a couple times where something happens in the world that makes the old podcast maybe not as sensible. Uh, this one was a really interesting change in direction. Michael Gettig from G Technology has a fabulous studio in Hollywood where he has young and not young creators for music, film, and television come in and use their equipment and learn how they create and look at workflow. So we talked about this before the pandemic and before the work from home and stay at home orders. And so we decided instead of putting out that episode to re-record it, taking a look at how a physical support structure deals with everyone now not being producing physically and how they can be of help. So you're going to enjoy this podcast. We get very philosophical toward the end, but it really is about sharing what we know. And they really have been trying to help share what they know to help creators move to home and rethink what their workflow is, as they tend to call it workflow therapy, but how to give workflow therapy from home, but also how to think about the future of production. Are we going to be talking about virtual sets and Unreal Engine? And also how are we going to think about work-life balance in a post-pandemic creation and production world. So enjoy this episode and think about what your own organization has done to be able to create from home and what you could do differently. We did talk before the crisis happened, and I was asking about your fabulous space in Hollywood and what G-Technology was and all of that before we were all having to produce, create, consume, forage, out of our residences around most of North America and the world. So um, I guess I'm going to start this conversation from a different lens. How are you thinking, Michael, about what the role is of G-Technology and having such a great facility for people to do live production in this era of creating in place? Well, it goes without saying that the, the space has been shut for about a month now. And one of the first conversations we had leading up to the, the full closure and the, the work from home order was, well, what do we do? How, how do we, how do we continue to support the communities that we're we're a part of? And the space is still there. It's still full of really awesome things. And at some point soon, we're going to get back to it. But it's just not part of our our usual. It's, it's not in the quiver right now. We don't have the opportunity to offer it up and we don't have the opportunity to bring people into it. So we started with some of the basics. We started with what are the things that people are going to be doing right now, um, and this is four weeks ago, that, that we know that we can help with. And so we started with basic work from home guides, work from home primers, just communicating out to as many of our partners and our customers and our friends as possible saying, hey, we're here. We know workflow. We know how to set this stuff up call us. And the team that I'm a part of, I mean, they're, they're on the phone, they're on emails, they're responding to, to Twitter messages and Facebook posts. We, we get summoned now on Facebook. 
we've basically been a, a triage unit and, and we don't have all the answers by any stretch. But if you look around, you can see a lot of hardware companies and a lot of software companies and a lot of really smart people who don't have any affiliations with companies who are just doing really good creative work, but who have experience with this are sharing what they know. And that's what we felt like was the right thing to do, share what we know and find other really giving people who care about the creative communities and share what they know. So the one-on-one triage and the one-on-one conversations have been one part of this. We started building out a resource guide you know, just literally aggregating links. It started as an Excel spreadsheet, and we started with different types of resources for different types of creative. So, for filmmakers, for photographers, for musicians, and then when the extent and I guess the power of this crisis became really apparent, we started looking out at financial resources and different things that were available to help keep people financially afloat because that's a, a big part of this. It's a weird situation to be in. There's the duality of the high-end professional who's been working all their lives, who has amassed a little bit and has put some aside, and they can weather this storm. And then there are really wonderful professionals who are in the middle or the beginning of their career who don't have a lot put aside. And this is make or break, because how many months can you afford to not work? Well, I'm going to back us up a bit, because... You and I talked before this, and we're actually intentionally re-recording this episode about what you guys do, but I think we almost need to step backwards to say in the before, before (laughs) the upside down. You guys have a marvelous space in Hollywood, right next to actually a video company that just launched during this whole thing, where you have a space that creators who need space for video or audio production can come and use great technologies and get great expertise. So you were doing this live with a whole live delivery. Can you tell us a little bit more about what your space is and why it was created? Absolutely. And and, and I appreciate your description of it because it was more concise than I've ever been. (laughs) We, We built this space as a way to connect with people who are doing creative work. And for us, what we realized was that the only way to understand how we can contribute is to understand how people are working because there's so many different ways and so many different technologies that are driving changes in that space that to just imagine and say, hey, this is what we think you should do without actually seeing it in, in a material situation was really impossible. So we, we built a space that allows for any type of creator to come in. There's, it's free of charge. There's no licensing agreement. We own nothing. Um, you just have to behave. You have to be nice. Anything, and you can bring your dog. You can bring your dog. You can't do anything illegal. Mm-hmm. But aside from that, you have free reign. And we have computers and we have cameras and we have a recording booth and we have lots of really great gear and we have a theater, a 4K theater. And, and the whole idea was was that... Sure, the benefit for for us in being able to understand how you're working is a very clear one, but it's also about giving back and becoming more participatory in creative communities than just a vendor or a service provider. It's really easy to be a manufacturer. Well, I'm going to back up, oh, though. Go ahead. I want to back up because you guys are a vendor. So right, this is what I find fascinating is the contrast between the fact that you guys sell through other companies, not even directly to, or directly to people, I guess, also. I guess I don't tend to buy hard drives directly from the company, but I'm assuming that's also. You have fabulous hard drives for creators that are robust. So how did, and to back you up into the story that stories that you told when we first 
before we first recorded this podcast, <laughs> about how you got into this and why this thing launched at all. Because, I mean, you have a crazy title and you've got an interesting mission that is almost, I shouldn't say at odds, but a really different lens on how to think about creator relationships as a physical goods company, which I'm assuming you're having, we'll talk about shipment in a second, but that, you know, what, what led to that delivery, that different lens? Yeah. So how'd you do this? <laughs> Why are you doing this? So I, I think in our first conversation, I talked about the the gauntlet that was thrown down by my my boss at the time who basically said, how would you create a sustainable advantage or what would you do to create a sustainable advantage for this company? And, you know, you, you think about hard drives. They aren't very sexy. They're very utilitarian. I think they're sexy. <laughs> I just bought new. I just bought. Though I must admit, it's not a G. It's a it's a Western Digital, but it's not it's not you guys. That's yeah, part of the family. Going. It's part of the family. It's part of the family. But but really, I think from a technological perspective, it's very utilitarian, and it, it, it's hard it's hard for people to see the differences. It's it's really hard in in a quick look at a box for somebody to understand what differentiates one drive from another, especially when when most hard drives really focus on the the I/O. They focus on the interface. And they focus on the enclosure, which is important. Aesthetics are, are certainly important. Um, but when you get into the guts of a drive, trying to help somebody understand what makes one better than the other on a shelf at a, at a Best Buy or at a, at a Film Tools or a Melrose Mac or at a B&H, it's really hard. So when, when my boss at the time threw that question at me, I started parsing through that piece. Okay, cool. The technology is utilitarian, but we do use top of the line. We're using enterprise class drives in, in, in most of our product. We focus on what is a creator going to do differently? So we tune things a little bit differently. We tend to focus on reliability in different ways than, than a typical consumer drive. Uh, an enterprise drive can be kept on 24-7. So there, there are things behind the scenes technologically that to me uh, were, were like a, it's like a passport. Like you can't travel without the passport. You have to have a good product to get your foot in the door. But then you've got to go beyond that to think about what is really going to make your company stand out. And I was a, a nerdy MBA, and, and one of the things that I really was fascinated by as one should be. Yeah, yeah. One should always be a nerdy MBA. Yeah, you know, I, it's, it's, we could, it's a whole different, it's a different episode to talk about how I stumbled into that. But I came at it from a very, I, I was not a business-minded person before business school. So I was fascinated by this idea of sort of CRM and, and customer relations. And I, I, I did this project in, in business school working with a major credit card company and they they had a mathematician on their team who quantified the value of customer loyalty and and his math was like a like a beautiful mind it was so out there and it was a mix of science and art and abstract logic and assumptions and i i kept thinking why do you have to go through such loops to convince people that it's important to have a relationship with your customer mm. cuz that's almost more important right now Right. Oh, yeah. I mean, that is, in my mind, that's one of the most important things right now. So anyway, get, getting back on track, when my boss asked this question, I, I did the deep dive and I thought about it. And the thing that really struck me was that if we wanted to have a sustainable advantage in the long run, and, and if we really wanted to be a company that was part of the creative communities rather than just a, a, a vendor and a manufacturer, we would have to find ways to support and to build on the relationships that we already had. And the space really gave us the ability to do all those things. It, it, it gave us a place for us to to test ideas, to have one-on-one -on -one conversations or one-to-several to conversations with 
people who are changing the space to allow for education to take place because I know for for different types of, of creative education, it's expensive to get a, a room. It's expensive to get into a hotel and hire a ballroom or rent a ballroom out or rent a facility. And we have that. And now we can let people come into it. And if you're a filmmaker, getting a theater to screen your, your film in is, is sometimes it's cost prohibitive. So we thought about all the different things and tools that people would need and tried to build it into the space that, that could be multi-purpose. So we can build relationships, we can meet with people, we can allow for, for education and workshops and all this other stuff that in my mind builds that relationship in a meaningful way. Because it's easy, it's easy to get lost in the idea of we're going to build a relationship and you just provide lip service. I think that's a it's not entirely cynical to think that that's what some big companies do because it happens. You've probably seen examples of it. But for us, working with creatives, I think creatives are very astute. I mean, having been one and still pretending to be one, sort of. <laughs> Sometimes I think we're all pretending to be one. Or now we're all professionally doing that from our house. I was going to say, I feel much more, much less like I'm pretending these days because I'm definitely making more music now that I'm home more, with, with especially with my daughter who, who loves making music. So we, we wanted to do it in, in a real way, in a meaningful way. And, that, and that's sort of how we got to where we got to. And since we made that decision, it's been great because a lot of the stuff that we, we did, and, and, and I, I by no means will take credit for having thought of this first. You, you can think of companies who have done this in meaningful ways many, many times over before we even got the idea of it. I, I love thinking about Red Bull Music Academy was one of the first ones that I, I really just fell in love with. I, I thought not only did they have the studios, but they also had the live, the live element, this community building. And there, there are a lot of others. Yeah, there's been a lot of research that that actually validates what we're doing in terms of how critical it is to build these kinds of resources in for your customers so that they don't just feel like you're selling them stuff. And we're not. I, I, I mean, you, you, again, you could tap into anyone on my team right now and I guarantee you that they're doing something that that isn't their job, right? Like designing designing a workflow or troubleshooting the the IO box that you have running from your microphone and your camera to your computer is not we don't build that stuff. That's not really, that doesn't really impact your hard drive, but they're on the phone doing it because they just feel so strongly and passionately about it. So that's, that's the, the long story of, of, of how we ended up with the space. And, and I think you're bringing the, the, the point back full circle, which is now we don't have that space. It's a totally different ballgame. And not like that, but, uh, and I was thinking about this as and we're gearing up to do a conference, if someone listens to this later, that we were thinking in terms of physical space as a limitation, right? So that we only had X amount of space, only a certain amount of hours in the day, and we actually were scheduling it, assuming, you know, half-hour sessions and breaks, and suddenly it's like, why are we doing that? People can tip in, tip out, listen, whatever. That I think a lot of things, I'm doing this also at the University with Classes, that we think in terms of limitations on design because of physical delivery. You guys have gorgeous space, but you're probably also thinking who can use what when, who can use. And now you've got time as your limiting factor in relationships and, and the gear someone has at home uh, because they can't get stuff drop shipped anymore. So how did you guys make the transition and how has it rethought what you do? Well, so I think the, the second question is probably the, the, the first one to answer because it started right away. It started probably a, a few weeks before it was apparent that there was going to be a lockdown. I was very fortunate to be at a wedding with somebody who 
was planning to take a long trip and he had some contacts at different companies and we we got into talking about well are you actually going to go are you are you sure you're going to be able to get back home and and it progressed into something where it became clear to me that this was going to be much more impactful than any of us were ready for and so when i came mm-hmm. back from that wedding i went to my team and i said look i don't know what the future holds but if these conversations that i am having are any indication we're we're going to be sheltering in place. Everyone is going to be sheltering in place. And I don't know for how long. I, I don't think even then I could have imagined how long we would be looking at. But we started the conversation then. And we started thinking, well, what is that going to look like for us? What is that going to mean when the space goes away and we no longer have the ability to send care packages or loaners or demo gear out to our, our friends and our colleagues? And how are we going to continue to contribute in a time that the creative work that's being done is going to shift, right? Like it's almost all production has has ground to a halt. Most recording studios have been shut down completely. Photography is still happening, but on a, on a fairly limited basis because you're not going on assignment anywhere. You're really limited to the, the geographic region that is close to you. So we started having that conversation probably two or three weeks before any, any shelter in place or work from home orders were, were, were given. And, what we came to was first we've got to start thinking about what are the what are the the first sort of the first response of issues that people are going to be dealing with and we we agreed that the first one was going to be around consolidation around getting your data consolidated onto one hard drive and being able to move it so it's really i guess consolidation and movement would be what we started talking about and then we started workshopping right we started designing workflows for here's what your setup might look like if you're in a big office, a small office, or no office at all, but you, or, or you're, you're used to working outside of your home. Here's what your data might look like. Here's where it may be living. Here's the number of people who might have access to it. And then just literally whiteboarding and drawing out what your solution set might look like. So just from getting data moved to, from point A to point B in an efficient manner and, and trying to alleviate that first line of panic. Because if you're working on a film and you've got, let's say, your small doc, and, and I'm thinking of a specific example where they've got about 12 people working and they have an office that everybody goes into and the master copy of all the raw camera footage and all the raw audio is there, it's really easy for everyone to tap into their, their little NAS and, and to just hand off a hard drive. Well, what does that look like now that 12 people are in 12 distinct locations? So we started doing that. I think that was the first area that we looked at. And then we started looking at, okay, now if you've got your data from wherever it needs to, to be coming from into your home, how are you going to set yourself up optimally so you can continue working or so that you can start working in a different way? Because some people, they're already on Frame.io. They were already using Bebop. I'm thinking very film-centric because... What is Frame... I was going to yeah. say, what is Frame.io? What is Bebop? So Frame is, Frame.io is a, a video collaboration software. It works well with most NLEs. It's it's just a... a What's an okay. MLE? Uh, for a non-linear, non-linear editor. <laughs> NLE. NLE, yes. Okay. So that's, that's for film production. Bebop Technology is a, is a new company that effectively allows you to... Uh, y- you can log into a virtualized workstation, no matter where you are, from any computer, and have access to 
any software, any number of, of, of GPU or CPU cycles that you want. So you basically tell them what you need and what you need to do. And you can go into Google Chrome and log into your Bebop tech. And now suddenly you might have the power of 50 computers, uh, a full server farm, and you, you pay for you, you know, 20 Adobe Creative Cloud licenses or 20 Avid licenses or you know, DaVinci licenses, whatever it is. Effectively, you don't have to have that system in front of you. Your computer works as a terminal. So there are a lot of really amazing technologies like that. And, and if you're in that camp already, you're probably just going to be moving data, but if you aren't in that camp and now you've got to start thinking, how am I going to collaborate remotely or how am I going to do work with multiple people online, we started building the range of options out. So that's where this resource guide started to, to take shape. So while Frame and, and Bebop are great, Bebop is a little bit higher end, Aspera is definitely higher end, Aspera is a technology used to move large files very quickly and very securely, Frame is a, is a bit more reasonable. So I think a, an individual or a small team could, could definitely afford a frame license, but maybe that's not what you need. Maybe you just need a local machine and, and a cloud backup. Or, or there, There's so many different flavors, and so we started attacking that. I was going to say, though, that, it, that in many ways, this is not your core business. I mean, I'm being devil's advocate here that, you know, you're, the, you're almost like the Rosetta Stone for some of this stuff, that you're the translator between the creative art and the tech art, but you're trying to make the pieces that are not yours work for the creator and translate that. And that's what I, I really loved about other than seeing your dog um, when I stopped by your facility. And then, so how do you, how do you translate that to who your community then is now? And then how do you deliver that? How are you delivering that knowledge relationships? Is it all one-to-one? -one? You're developing your, your resource space, but is this, change the nature of who who you deliver to? I don't think it, it necessarily changes the nature of who we deliver to, but I think it, it might expand what they think about us. When, when the studio started, we, we were we were really behind the scenes. So there wasn't a lot of there wasn't a lot of publicity about our existence. It was it was let's get up and running, let's figure out what what our mission is and how we deliver on that. And then as we can scale, we will scale. And as, as we can market ourselves more, we will, and we'll tell more people. I think this, this has sort of forced us to the forefront in some ways. And, and mm -hmm. I, I, love, I love the description as a Rosetta Stone because in a lot of ways that's what we're doing, but we're also functioning as a connector because we don't, we're not the frame IO experts. We're not Sonnet or Addo or, or HP experts, but because we've taken so much time to build our space and focus on workflow design, we know the people at all of those companies who are the experts. So when somebody calls and says, hey, this is the problem, I'm trying to figure this out, we either are aware of, of resources that exist already, pre-recorded or, or pre-created collateral that, that's out there that can help somebody get over whatever hurdle they're, they're facing, or we know the person to call and say, hey, this is what we're trying to do here. We don't really know what the the right solution is. Can you help out? Can I connect you? And and it kind of speaks to what data is in the whole picture of of creative work. We're again not the most exciting, but we're an anchor of it all. Almost everything that we're creating today is is a one or a zero somewhere. It's, it's on a hard drive somewhere. So if the creative industry grinds to a halt, well, <laughs> our business grinds to a halt. We don't really have anything. So. Our job is to help make sure that people can keep moving. And, and workflow is one of those things, especially when you're trying to get out from the panic of my industry just shut down. 
I don't know what I'm going to do next, but I know I need to do something. We can help you get set up so you can think about that something. We may even be able to help you do that something a little bit. And, and if we can't, we can hopefully connect you to somebody else who can. But at the very least, if, you're, if your workspace works and, and you can do as much as you possibly can with the stuff that you have in front of you, whether you're, you're completely limited and all you have is a laptop, or if you've got a really great setup, well, then you can still create and that's important. So, so what are, I, I know that I, most of my information is anecdotal about what people are creating right now. And I hear a lot of it on the music side and a lot of this also on the sort of live production side. And as we we're joking, this is what I'm spending a lot of my time on. What are you anecdotally or non-anecdotally seeing about what is being created right now in what spaces, what type of work in anticipation of reopenings? I am seeing people talk about some really interesting new production flows, including remaking advertising <laughs> with old footage, new audio, and actually trying to produce that as frantically as they can right now. What are you seeing in terms of things that people are creating right now? Well, there's, there's definitely some buckets. There's projects that were in motion before the shutdown that are in post. That, that's, a, that's a big chunk of what we're seeing, things that are in various stages of post-production or, or various stages of editing or mixing if it's audio or curation or, or, or editorial if it's, if it's written word or, or photographs. There's a lot of that. I, I think it took a minute for folks to figure out how to continue that process, but that seems to be up and running. And it, it's changed. It's, it's challenging to do color remotely if you don't have a a C3 spaced color monitor a, a proper 4K mm-hmm. C3 100% monitor in front of you which is an expensive piece of equipment so your colorist may be able to look at it but maybe your producer or director can't see it in the exact same way so there's some give and take there but post is a big piece of it and we're seeing that and we're seeing projects get finished on the production side i i think there's there's sort of two camps there's the folks who are trying to figure out what to do with themselves and they're doing independent projects and, and they're maybe doing things that are fun and creative and, and smaller scale. I, I've, I've seen tons of really entertaining videos online, some of them just ridiculous and silly and some of them sort of fun and, and, and unique and, and people who are using uh, virtual camera systems in really interesting ways. And that, that, that's a whole world that, that I've, I've heard a lot about is, is Unreal Engine and a lot of sort of virtual sets, which that conversation dovetails into when, when we transition out of this, the, it's going to take some time before we get back into a full mode, if we ever get back into a full mode as it existed before. My hope and my, my, I, my guess, if I had to look into the crystal ball, is that things will change. Things will be a little bit different, if not, in some places, a lot different. And so there are conversations about what does an Unreal set look like or what does a virtualized set look like, right? You've already seen a lot of these Disney movies where they're just, it's, what, 12 people in a box creating mm-hmm. beautiful films. So if if health and safety are an issue and we don't want to go to Death Valley to go shoot, with let's say 50 or 75 people on a crew can we do that in a small soundstage so that's a big part of the conversation now is looking at some of the virtualization 
software and, and, and techniques out there and seeing what can be done there. And, and, and that's, I would say that I haven't seen the results of that yet. You've seen sort of tests, but nothing, Netflix isn't producing an unre, a, a virtualized show right now. I think they're, we're, we're a little bit, it's too, it's too early for us to see the results of that conversation, but that's a big part of the conversation that I'm hearing. But I'm also seeing a, a fair amount of quick animation coming out. Yep. And some people have joked about that a lot of us have already been working from home for a while. Yeah. So that so that you've had dispersed production that's been part of a lot of people's workflow. I definitely know whole teams who live in different cities who've been not simultaneously creating, but have been, you know, moving it from time zone to time zone, moving the work along or, you know, adding instrumentation that it's that a lot of people have been living out of their home studio for a long time. Now they don't necessarily, I mean, they might go back in the kitchen and eat more. Sorry, that's me right now. My my home studio is actually decent. It's on the second floor of a really old house. So I'm generally in the middle of something and I smell, oh, my husband's been cooking. I wouldn't have had that if I was at my <laughs> studio at the school. But but I think it is, though, that that you've had some people producing remotely for things. And now there's the ability, you know, to think, rethink the relationships with the people you've been producing with and, and, and to think about your skill levels and, and what you might want to add on. So we're definitely seeing some of that as well. And finding people who can translate like you guys are have a different role because everyone kind of needs a translator now. Yeah. And animation is a great example of, of I, I think what it's doing to animation is just pushing where it was already going along a bit faster because to your point, they they were already doing a lot of work. It, it was already doing animation. Animators were already doing a lot of distributed workforces, and the ability to work from home was already there. I one of the really interesting things out of all of this, and and this is this is where my brain goes, just because I think it, it having worked in in film and in television, and having a lot of friends who work in it, and obviously having a lot of really good relationships with people who are on the production side, on the electrician side, on the costume side, this, this idea of how we value time and, and a work life mm-hmm. balance. I, I think in creativity, we tend to think of, of all or nothing. You, you, you go neck deep for six months or eight months on a project. You don't get a lot of free time. You don't get a lot of family time. And then you come back out of it and you sort of recharge for a little bit. And then you go back in and, you don't have that luxury if you're if you're at home, like I am with a young child, uh, like many people are with young children, or not even young children with any kind of children or any kind of family or anyone else besides yourself. The reality is that that it's it's a different way of working, and there's been a lot of conversations that are a little bit more philosophical about what that means going forward. D- do we do we carry some of these lessons forward about? How, how much people are actually enjoying this family time and how much they appreciate having it into whatever comes next so that we don't go back to crazy 18-hour workdays that are sometimes unhealthy. So that's, that's been really interesting, especially because from a hard drive perspective, I'm thinking about it as, as it's a time efficiency thing. We, we preach this all, all the time, every day, every conversation somehow comes back to, well, do you value your time, right? A good hard drive is going to be faster. It's going to be more reliable. It means that 
you don't wait around for something. And, and, and it's a very myopic viewpoint, but it's, I guess, five years of working in this will do this to you. It's a little bit of brainwashing, I guess. But, but I think about that. I go, well, is the investment of an extra hundred bucks worth two hours a day to you or an hour a day to you, depending on what you're doing? So that conversation has been really interesting and it's actually starting to materialize in, in a lot of different ways. And, and I'm excited about that because I think there are some very human lessons and very human takeaways from what we're all experiencing. It's a very collective experience. And I just, I hope that we, I hope that we, we take to heart some of this stuff and we, you know, you've been obviously the, the, the conference next week, the conversations that you're spurring and, and the questions that you're asking are very much in line with these kinds of thoughts. I mean, what, what, what are we going to do for the next year or two when we have very little live music? Well, I might also contest that that, that I mean, I was, I've been on so many music calls and conversations, but for your average person, they have gone to less than two ticketed events a year. So for your average person with live music, it's not a large part of their life. It, there's a, a fairly small percentage that buy most of the tickets and go to most of the shows. So for some people, they possibly are consuming more music now than ever before, especially through YouTube. And it, it, it's an interesting question about time. And this is all to me about time. There was a great session I was at losing track of time yesterday. And again, we're recording this on April 17th of 2020 that uh, was by one of my alma maters, Fielding Graduate University, and um, Jerry Lynn Hogue, who I adore, was talking about the joy of missing out, JOMO, that <laughs> um, we get so frantic about we're supposed to be doing X, Y, or Z, but now we're able to take the time. And, and what is it that may change our overall understandings of our desired relationships with space and time and family uh, when we're all looking at time. And I've been talking to my past self a lot about what she thought was important four or five months ago was mostly not important. The other thing I find funny, which comes back to hard drives, my husband tripped over a box in one of our rooms. He goes, what's this? I said, ah, I found all my old hard drives. And I was going to take some time, which I haven't done yet, to actually see what was I storing in 2004 when I was producing early Google video and YouTube video channels when those channels were coming out. What was I doing? And of course, those are what looks like a tiny drive, five times the size <laughs> of the one I just bought to put terabytes of stuff on. And so, you know, you guys have been storing time for a long time. And, and are we collecting and making the things we want to be during this time is an interesting question and how it affects our time of working with each other. So I will stop waxing philosophical, but to, to me, this is all about time right now. I, it doesn't feel philosophical at all. It feels very, very real. Uh, again, having, having a small child and, and two parents who work, this is, time is, is, is a very real and very precious resource. And what I, what I do with my time, what any of us do with our time, especially when we are so aware of it, because you, I, I think being confined to a particular space makes it easier to be aware of, of time, or maybe I am becoming hypersensitive in some ways, but also it, it's become a bit of an abstraction. Like you had to remind, you had to remind me that today was Friday, but at the same time, I know, I know that we're already mid-afternoon and in a few hours I'm going to start cooking dinner and then we're going to go into our nighttime routine and then my daughter's going to go to bed and I'm going to be exhausted and I'm going to pass out. So it's, it's a weird, it's just a weird sort of vortex, but you're right. 
I, I think about what we're doing with the hours in the day. Our conversations when we talk to people about workflow and workflow design are, are never exclusively technical, they, especially in the last month. Even before this, they were never specifically technical, but especially this last month, there's a lot of emotion and, and there's a lot of, we had a, a series of events and we'll, we'll probably bring them back up online pretty soon called workflow therapy, because it does feel very much like we're, 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 we're in a therapy session We're we're doing talking therapy to help people understand what is important in their day and how, how to think about that and not telling them, but actually ascertaining that from them and letting them say it out loud so they can hear it and go, you know what? you're right. I actually don't, I don't want to spend my time doing that. Or you know what? I actually do want to save that so that I can go do these other things. And, and right now it's, it's a good, it's a good moment to be focusing on that. And, and yeah, it's very easy to get philosophical about it because we're all experiencing it in, in, in very, very unique and, and strange ways that I, I don't, I hate saying unprecedented because it, it gets bandied about every day, but it, it is unprecedented. I, I don't know anyone who's ever had this experience at this scale. It just, it's weird. It's very strange. It depends on if you have older relatives still alive. My father, who passed a while ago, would plant vegetables in his yard to provide food for his community up in Oregon and had a job at a bakery attempting to make some living for the five people in his household. So in, in many ways, I think a lot of my husband's grandmother who used to wash out all the Ziploc bags, and we actually find ourselves doing that right now. But there are people who've been through pieces of this puzzle, which we have conversations in my classes about this a lot now. I actually am looking at some of this stuff and, you know, I was doing a lot of, of really inexpensive, crazy video production from my home back in 0405. And my kids are in those and I can, they're actually on YouTube. <laughs> I challenge people to find them. They are there. Um but it's like time stops. And we've been talking, we're in an old 1910 Queen Anne, that we've been back to working on it. And my husband and I, we've been married for 30-something years, that we're looking back going, this is what our life was like when the kids were little. We didn't have money. We were working out of the house. We were spending time at home. And it's almost like we've returned to a version of ourselves, though our kids are now in their 20s and one still lives at home. We're now thinking about what do we create out of our house and what's important where we live and and we're, you know, as you're saying, cooking dinner and, and spending time and and not just looking at great bread recipes, but I'm, you know, I'm creating content right now and talking with people about their lives and trying to get people to rethink about that joy of missing out with each other. But I will step off that philosophical <laughs> bandwagon and ask you as we've talked for quite a while now, is there anything else you'd want to comment on or share as we wrap up? I, I think the the thing I would I would love to say is is just to to say thanks first and foremost to you uh, to the myriad of people who are helping to provide perspective and and some levity and some light in in, in what we're all experiencing right now. I think it, it's very easy to be despondent and and to feel a little bit defeated by this especially for for creatives who you know your your livelihood just sort of was pulled out from underneath you and the outpouring of of support and and i i, I think I, I wrote this in the email that that you're cc'd on with uh to the, the folks who've been into the studio the, the camaraderie and the collaboration and the outpouring of, of support for each other has really been tremendous and, and 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 it's part of that overall reminder of 
what is important and, and how do we work together. And it's happening also from, from a company side too. I, I've noticed that there are a lot of really wonderful people from a lot of companies and some companies have everything to gain from it and some have nothing, but they're out there doing everything they can to help people, help creatives to continue doing what they do and, and find, find ways to, to continue doing what you, what you are passionate about. And then that's, as a final thought, I think that's what I'm, I'm really the most excited about. And, and that's my, my shred of optimism or not shred. I have a lot of optimism. It's one of the things that I'm most optimistic about is the, the creative ingenuity that is going to come from all this. I lived in New York, maybe, I don't know, 15 blocks away from the World Trade Center in, in 2001. And I remember the, the, the full year after it, the, just the outpouring of creativity in, in a world that seemed to be turned upside down. Now, I'm not comparing the current situation to September 11th at all. They're fundamentally different things. But in terms of a shared experience that is scary and anxiety-laden and, and, and challenging in so many different ways, there are some likenesses. And what I'm, what I'm excited about is, is the fact that there are some really brilliant people sitting at home right now thinking about what they're going to do next. And, and there will be some breakthroughs while we're, we're all working our butts off at home trying to do our jobs and, and, and feel things differently and, and approach things differently, it will happen. There are going to be some great, great pieces that come from this. And, and I, I can't wait because you're already seeing it and, and you're seeing it in, in, in trickles now. But we, at least in LA, we've got about, what, another, another month at minimum of this. And once that month is done, we have some amount of, of, of time to be determined when public gatherings are, are not going to be a thing. So we talk about live concerts, but you can talk about movie theaters, productions, productions. Yeah. There's, there, just go down the line. And so there are going to be some really brilliant people figuring out ways to do things differently, coming up with unique ways to, to, to still be creative. And, and there are going to be new new types of, of, of creative output. I mean, we're already seeing this, this like live DJ, live dance party, shared dance, shared dance party or shared yoga lesson or shared dance lesson, all these things that kind of happen in smaller doses, they're starting to really percolate and people are getting really good at them. So I, I, I'm excited about it. And, and if, if anyone needs help, feel free to reach out to us. I, I think it's obviously, I want to make sure that you know that the, the studio team, we're here to help. We're really easy to find. You just email us at the studio at g technology.com. If you want access to the resource guide, I'll send you a link to it. That way you can share it out and, and put it on the podcast page. It'll be in the show notes. Beautiful. Absolutely. And if anyone has a resource that they found that, that is useful, we just started a miscellaneous section where we're putting entertainment, like things that are nice to watch, things that you would like to spend your time doing. And we've, we've seen some really, really great examples of that. So if you've got a resource that is either educational or entertainment or financial aid or grants, send it our way. It's a po totally public site. It's, it's, it's out there for anyone to use. We would love that. And, and the more we can share, I think the more help that we can give. So... Well, Michael, I'm glad we could re-record this interview and bring our current thoughts to bear. We'll look forward to coming back to your space as we get into the new abnormal or whatever we're <laughs> calling all of this now. 
I keep calling it the upside down because it does feel like stranger things in, in several different ways. Or really, again, time travel, being back in my life from, gosh, 20 plus years ago. So appreciate your joining us and appreciate everyone who joins us here at Innovating Music. Thanks. Thanks, Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for listening. You have found one of our adventures now in the Merrimel Podcast Network. You can find our shows everywhere that you listen to podcasts. We've got Amplify Music Conversations from the Amplify Music Conferences during the pandemic, Creative Innovators, and now Innovating Music. If you're interested in following up with us in any of these shows, please reach out on our websites, and you can find those in the show notes.